0: Well, we're in Revelation chapter 3 this morning. Chapter 3. In this, these letters to the seven churches, we've considered four. Uh, today makes number five <clears throat> as we consider his words to the church at Sardis. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works and that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God. As we've seen in this progression of churches leading up to Sardis, with the exception of uh, Smyrna and Philadelphia, as we'll see next week, all of these churches are receiving uh, a measure of commendation and criticism from Jesus. Now, Smyrna and Philadelphia received no criticism. They only received words of commendation from the Lord, words of praise and encouragement. But as we've looked at the criticisms and the condemnation that comes, it seems as things are, as though things are getting progressively worse. Ephesus was condemned for their lovelessness. They were doing a lot of good works. They were working hard, but they had left their first love. The next church, I just forgot. <laughs> Pergamos or excuse me, yeah, Pergamus. They were working, but the criticism to them was that they were letting sin creep into their congregation. They were beginning to compromise on their morals. Last week, we considered Thyatira, how that compromise seems to have given way to corruption, where it wasn't just that sin was creeping in the door, but that sin seemed to be flagrant and open in the midst of the congregation, and they weren't dealing with the sin that was in their midst. And so today, we come to Sardis, and it is the criticism to them that they have a reputation or a name of being alive, but they are dead. Notice how Jesus introduces himself to this dead church in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now if you were back here back in December, you'll remember we, we looked at those back in chapter 1. The, the seven spirits of God are referenced in chapter 1 verse 4. He says, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And and we talked then that that doesn't mean that there are seven Holy Spirits. There is one Holy Spirit, uh, but this is a reference to his sevenfold ministry. It's a reference to the fullness of the Spirit. You see, it was Jesus Christ himself who sent the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that in John 15. He said, it's good for me to go away so that I can send the comforter, the helper, the Holy Spirit to be with you. I will send him to you, Jesus says. So Jesus here speaks of himself. He says, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God. It is Jesus who has the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Jesus Christ in Philippians 1 and the Spirit of Christ in 1 Peter 1. So it's Jesus who sends the Spirit and the Spirit himself is the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Christ. The seven stars, the reference to them was in chapter 1 verse 20. He says, the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. We talked about how those angels, the the Greek word angelos is a a word that literally means messenger. The messengers to the churches, most likely uh, ministers or pastors who are in those churches. They're in his hand, he says, the seven stars that are in his hand. That means, one, that he protects them, his ministers. Anyone who serves Christ is in his hand. No one will ever pluck you out of his hand. No one will ever pluck me out of his hand. But that reference to him holding them also means that he controls them. He has sway over them. They operate under his authority. These are the things that Jesus wants us to remember about himself and his revelation of himself as we look at the church. Now, we'll come back to that, but what is this dead church? What makes them dead? He says in verse 1 there, I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. That commendation is just getting shorter and shorter. He really doesn't have anything good to say about Sardis at all, except that they have a reputation, a name, that they are alive. So in this case, a dead church is one that was once vibrant and and maybe still has the reputation of being alive to this day, but in reality has progressed through that slide of lovelessness, compromise, corruption, to the point that the work of God has all but ceased. The church is dead. One pastor gave the illustration of the light that we see from stars. You know this, I'm sure that the stars and the light that we see from the stars in the sky isn't the light that was shining yesterday. That in many cases it takes decades for the light from a star to get to where we can see it. And in fact, when we look up at any given star in the sky and we see its light, it's very well possible that that star died decades ago. But its light just hasn't reached earth completely yet, and so we still see the remnants of it. And so when we look at a a church like Sardis, a church that is dead, it may be that at one time it shone brightly That the light was blazing in the community. That the light blazed with the glory of the gospel that was being preached and the service that went out into the community and to the world from it. But at some point along the way, they lost their first love. They began to let sin slide into the church and they began to compromise and then became corrupted more and more throughout. And now they are dead, but there's still just that remnant of light that gives the impression that it's still alive. A church that looks like it's alive may not necessarily be alive. A dead church always sees the work of God as something that happened in the past. I wonder if someone came to you and said, tell me how you've seen God work at Simmons Grove Baptist Church. What's the first thing that would come to your mind? Would you say, oh, well, we used to have this back in the, 70s or man in the 90s things were like this or I remember back then how we used to is that how you think of the work of God as something that's happened in the past something that in days gone by friends that's a sign of deadness in a church when the look at God's work is always something that happened in the past What is the relationship of Christ's revelation of himself at the first part of the verse to the deadness of the church in the second half of the verse? Why does he reveal himself and reference his revelation of himself as the one who has the spirit of God and the seven stars? And I think it's simply this, that the two defenses against the church's death are the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit and ministers who are under the control of Christ. Those are God's two defenses against the death of a church. Friends, we cannot operate without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. If we depend on ourselves and on our own strength, we will run out of steam, we will become corrupt, and we will die. We looked just this week at the life of Abraham and our discipleship group and how that God had given him this promise to send his son. And as he's getting older, he starts to lose sight of that promise. And maybe it just won't happen. And, And Sarah comes along and says, Well, why don't you just go into my servant Hagar and have a son by her? And Abraham says, Okay. He didn't pray about it. He didn't say, Well, are you sure? He just did it. He took matters into his own hands. He didn't have the the son that God had promised, and so he tried to do it himself, and it caused nothing but problems for him and for his descendants. And friends, when it comes to the work of God, we cannot be dependent on our own strength, our own methods, our own intelligence, our own ingenuity. We cannot depend on ourselves one bit. Everything we do... Everything we accomplish in this church must be done in the power and with the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit of God. You need the Spirit of God and you need ministers, servants who are under the control of Christ. Whether an angel here refers to a pastor specifically or to a a key leader in the church or whether it's to any minister or servant within the congregation, we need people who are under the control of Christ you hold this pulpit accountable. If what happens up here, if what you're hearing from me or anyone else up here on Sundays isn't in line with God's word, isn't under the control and the lordship of Jesus Christ, you stand up and say something. Maybe after the service, not during. We must be under the control of Christ. We need ministers. We need pastors. We need servants throughout the congregation who are surrendered completely to His control. That's what we talked about in Ephesians, right? About being full of the Spirit of God. These things come together. You cannot be full of the Spirit of God. You cannot experience experience His presence and His power unless you're submitted to His control, to His Lordship in your life, unless you let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. He must be Lord. He must sit on the throne of your heart. Jesus is the one who has the Spirit of God. He is the one who holds his ministers in his hands. And he is the one who can work in a church that is dead. In the next couple of verses, he gives the answer to this question. What is a dead church to do? What is, what is his command to Sardis? What's the, the action steps they're there to take? We see several imperatives throughout verses 2 and 3, but I think you can summarize them in a couple of statements. Number one, wake up and see God's activity. Wake up and see God's activity. He says there, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. That be watchful. It could be translated, wake up. If you're dead or dying, if you're falling asleep, just hear the alarm. Wake up. Be shaken out of your slumber. Recognize the state that you're in. Recognize and acknowledge the death that you're headed towards. And wake up. But not all hope is lost. He says, you have a name that you're alive, but you are dead. But be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, which are about to die. This is, call the paramedic. Start mouth to mouth. Get the machine running so we can shock this heart. Strengthen the things which remain. Find the places where there is life. Find the places where God is working and join Him in the work. It just may be that not all hope is lost for a church that seems to be dead. Don't look at the things you don't like in the church. Don't dwell on the areas of church life that disappoint you. Don't focus on activities or programs that maybe you had in the past that you wish were still around. Friends, look to see where God is working right now. Look to see where God is active right now and get to work with Him. Jump into the work of God wherever that may be. You can dwell on things that you wish were different, and a lot of people do that. And you know what happens in churches where the congregation dwells on things they wish were different? They die. But if the people of God will open their eyes, wake up, and look to see where God is at work and join him in that work, oh, you can strengthen the things that remain so that they don't die. Let me tell you something you may not know. We've had several uh, new converts, several baptisms in the last year. Did you know that 80% of the people we've baptized in the last year have been in their 20s? Between ages 21 to 29. Somebody say amen or something. Come on. (laughs) We're not dead, right? Come on. Amen. Might it be, just throwing this out there, open our eyes, let's wake up and see. Might it be that God is doing a work in the hearts of 20 somethings in our community or in Pilot Mountain? Okay, if that's where God is working, what do you need to do to join him in that work? What are you doing to reach the 20-somethings that live around you? What are you doing to help disciple and train up the 20-somethings that have come into our congregation? Listen, a lot of you haven't been in 20-somethings for a while, and you know a lot of stuff that the current 20-somethings need to know. Don't wait for them to come and ask you you take the initiative, you go to them, you say, hey, come with us to to Baptist women's group on the Tuesday night. Hey, you come to Brotherhood's breakfast on Sunday morning. Hey, I've got to go fill up the baptistry or I've got to go turn the heat on. Come with me and let me show you how to do these things. Hey, I'm going out to visit somebody who's sick or somebody who's asked the church, uh, you know, for financial help. Just come with me and see how we handle these things. Hey, I'm going to go talk to a lost person about Jesus. I'm going to go visit somebody at the hospital. Why don't you hop in the car and come along? Look to see where God is working and join him in the work. That's just one area. We've had opportunities that have opened up in, in, in the schools around us. I've found just in the last few months that that high school students right now, the ones that I've talked to, are very open to having spiritual conversations, and most of them know little or nothing about the Bible. Many of us grew up in Christian homes. We grew up going to church. We heard the Bible stories. We got the puzzle pieces put together for us a little bit. At least somebody gave us a good start but there are many high school students right now who maybe they've picked up bits and pieces from tv or from other things but they have no idea how how it all fits together i had some conversations with some downtown in pilot and just good gospel conversations. And some of us here at the church started praying, Lord, if you're at work in the, in the hearts of these teenagers right now, show us how we can reach them. And it wasn't the next week. I get a letter from the the, the Surrey County schools that they wanted to have a meeting with church leaders, the county schools. And some of us went to that meeting. We brought back some information about how we can serve in the schools and connect with students, jump in on that opportunity. Step up and say, I'll go, I'll serve. Listen, we can't just put something on the sign and expect people to show up at church anymore. That doesn't happen. If you want them to come here so you can reach them, forget it. You have to get out of your seat, go out of this building to where they are and love them and serve them and tell them about Jesus in their context. And when they believe and they become Christians, you bring them in here and we'll disciple them, we'll baptize them, we'll find them a place to serve. That wasn't all in my notes, but I feel like it was good. May God shake us, awaken us to his activity around us so that we may take our eyes off ourselves and join him in his work where he is working right now. Forget about us for a minute. Where is God working and how can we join him in it? May God open our eyes. So, first thing, wake up and see God's activity. Second, remember God's word and repent. Verse 3 says, remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Friends, we know that we need the word of God. We know that we need to remember his word to us, what he has taught us. Remember his word of salvation. Remember how he came to you where you were. Sometimes it's good to remember how lost you used to be. And to remember how great a grace God bestowed on you in saving you. How that when you were dead in sin and headed for destruction, he came and made you alive in Christ. Remember that. Remember his call to holiness How at that point, at your conversion, He began cleaning you, purging you of sin, changing your desires. we got to remember that because it's easy to slide back into sin. Remember His commandments and His commission. The greatest of the commandments, to love Him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. The great commission to go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. To go into your Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. He says, remember how you have received and heard. Remember the word of God that came to you and repent. Hold fast to the word and repent. Repent of our lovelessness. Repent of our compromises. Repent of the corruption of sin undealt with. Repent of focusing on the past or missing God's work in the present. Hold fast to his word and repent. He gives a warning of judgment to those who will not wake up. The second half of verse 3, he says, Therefore, if you will not watch, if you will not wake up, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Here's a reality. Christians live lives of repentance. Christians live lives of repentance. You repent of your sins and you put your trust in Jesus at the moment you're saved. But that isn't the last time you ever repent. Because as we become aware of our sinfulness and as we begin to see things in our lives that don't please God or things that creep in over time, we're continually repenting, aren't we? Christians live lives of repentance. Know this, to refuse to repent is to throw away any assurance that you're really a Christian. If sin comes into your life and you refuse to repent of it, if you go on and on and on and on in sin and never turn from it, the truth may be clear to you, but you resist it. I have no reason to assure you that you are a Christian. So it's no surprise then that judgment will come on those who refuse to wake up and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch... I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Judgment will come suddenly and unexpectedly like a thief. That's what he's talking about there. When does a thief come? does it come in the middle of the day and knock on your door. Excuse me, may I come in? No. The thief's going to come when he thinks no one's home or when no one's awake. He comes unexpectedly. He comes suddenly. If you're asleep, if you have the reputation of being a Christian, but you are really dead in your sins, I promise you this, you will wake up. You will wake up. I pray that you wake up now rather than when you're surprised by Christ's coming and judgment. One way or another, you will wake up. Oh, how much better to wake up now. To repent. To put your trust in Jesus. It's a warning of judgment to those who will not wake up, and there's a promise of hope to those who overcome. Verse 4, he says, You have a few names, even in Sardis, a few names who have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. God always has a remnant people. God always preserves, even if it's a few. Apparently in Sardis, it was just a few. But regardless of what may happen in the church at large, you can be sure that you are personally right with God. You don't decide what you're going to do based on what everybody else around you is doing. Regardless of what things look like in the church in America as a whole, regardless of what happens in this church, you, between you and God alone, make sure that you stand right with God. Don't soil your garments, don't slip into sin. But the promises are this they will walk with Christ. He says, They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. One day our faith will become sight. If you're walking with Christ right now in this life and you have that loving relationship with him, you commune with him in his word and in prayer, there is a day when what you're doing now by faith will become sight. You will lay eyes on your Savior and walk with him. It's Eden restored and improved. Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. But the relationship that we will have in eternity will be even better because we know what we've been saved from. And we have that assurance, that motivation to keep walking in worthily here on earth because we know that we shall walk with Him in eternity. He says they're clothed in white garments. That just refers to righteousness and purity. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. What do you mean shall be? Aren't they righteous and pure now? Yes, but one day sin will be no more. Friends, we've been granted the righteousness of Christ at our salvation. At the moment that we were born again, he gave us his righteousness. We have a perfect standing before God. But the reality is this. We still wrestle with sin in the flesh, don't we? But the day will come. Be be sure of this. Have your hope in this promise that the day will come when sin will be no more. Some of you have heard praise God for the day when you get to be in heaven with Christ because you get a new body. You'll walk without your bones aching. I'm not to that point yet, but I'm still looking forward to being with Christ and having my new body because I won't have to put up with this sinful, rebellious flesh anymore. There is hope for those who walk with him. These are those who lived holy lives while they were here. And in eternity will live perfectly. Their names are permanently written in God's record. And Christ will personally commend us to the Father by name. He says, I will not blot his name from the book of life. Now, that's not a threat. God doesn't write names in the book of life and then go cross them out later. You're saved. You're saved for eternity. But know this, that name will last forever. It will never be blotted out. And more than that, he says, I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. A personal introduction, if you will, to the Father by name. I meet people sometimes who have positions that give them a lot of exposure. You know, people follow them on social media or they get to know a lot of people, um, you know, in different places. And it's kind of funny how you can meet the same person three or four times and they just say, hey, I'm blank, who are you? (laughs) And I just tell them my name and don't tell them we've already met before. Just leave it alone, right? But think of it to be commended by name to God the Father by the Lord Jesus Christ. He will never forget my name. It's written in his book. It'll never be blotted out. Jesus said this in Matthew 10. He said, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Most of the time we, we, we focus on that second half. If you deny him before men, he'll deny you before the Father in heaven. And that has its place. But today I want you to focus on that first part. That whoever confesses me before men, whoever's faithful in this life, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Here's the conclusion. Dead churches will face Christ's judgment. But overcomers will walk with him for eternity. Dead churches will face Christ's judgment. Don't forget that. But overcomers will walk with him. Verse 6, he concludes just like he does every other letter. He who has an ear... Is that you? Do you have an ear? Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Will you hear his voice? Will you repent? It may be that you're one who has a name, a reputation, that you're alive, but you're dead. Repent. Put your trust in Jesus. He loves you and will save you. It may be that you're one who is focused on self and what you think the church ought to be. And you're missing out on God's work. Wake up. Repent and join him in his work. And all of us who have been born again, rejoice in knowing that we will walk with him in white garments, righteous and pure, our names forever settled in heaven, known by the Father and the Son for all eternity. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Bow with me for prayer. Our Father, I pray that your word would take root in our hearts and bear fruit. Save the lost. Revive your saints. In Jesus' name.